From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Oh yeah, here we are, rocking it for another great edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, and you know, this is a car show. This is the show where I convince otherwise normal people to delve into a financially crippling hobby that is cars, and uh, I, I am so far down the hole with that hobby, I don't think there's... There's no coming back at this point. There, There isn't. Now, we've had another snowy week here in Colorado, which is a great time uh, if you have a garage to work on the car and the warmth. You know, you can't drive it as much. Obviously, not as good of a time if you're working on the cars anyway, and you aren't doing it in a garage. Um, I do have a garage, but it's already full with other uh, nonsense crap cars. So ask me how I know about working in the snow. But uh, that said, I do have some really cool news on the show today about Pikes Peak. That's fun. I mean, I live here in Colorado. I can see Pikes Peak literally from my window right now. So got some cool news about that. Also, uh, going to talk about why buying a pickup truck is a better idea than buying one of those Tesla battery walls to power your house. And uh, this is really neat. Also going to discuss some stupid steering wheel designs and why manufacturers need to stop trying to reinvent the wheel. It is ridiculous. And also, I do have some really interesting news about the car sounds that I play every week on this show uh, and uh, some news that you might find interesting. And that's going to be in the third segment of the show. you got to stick around until then. Now, if you listen to this show every Sunday, you might notice this is a little bit later of a uh, posting of the show. It's a late upload, which I have an excuse. I do. I mean, by late upload, I mean this is... It's, it's, it's almost not Sunday anymore. Let me put it that way. But um, I do have an excuse, and that's because I spent the uh, evening in the cold dragging a car out of a barn. A very interesting car. Uh, speaking of doing manual uh, labor lying down in the snow, not in a garage. Yeah, this is that. Um, I found, uh, and, and listeners of the show might know, I already own one crusty AE86 Corolla. And, uh, well, I found another one in a barn, a true barn find in the literal sense. And it wasn't even listed for sale. A friend of a friend knew a guy who spotted an AE86 underneath a kind of a, a covered barn section in a very rural part of the state. And uh, long story short, <laughs> I managed to get a hold of the guy, offer him some money, and uh, rather misguidedly offered him some money that I probably should not have spent on it. Anyway, he said, yeah. And somehow I ended up taking that car home. And uh, it's, you know, AE86, it's a hatch. The one I have is a coupe. So this will be my first hatch. And uh, that said, it was covered in hay, dirt, uh, all sorts of animal droppings. And it also had cats living in it. And uh, it had very much not weathered the elements very well. And it might, it might be missing one or two insignificant trivia, trivial items, you know, things like, you know, the engine and transmission and the interior. Don't, don't worry about those things. You know, some people see, some people call it a rolling chassis. I like to, I like to call it a, a, a blank slate. How about that? Any, I don't, okay, I don't think anyone's buying that. But uh, this does give me the opportunity to um, swap something interesting in it. And, and my other rusty Corolla uh, I did what everyone does, which is get a 4AGE 20 valve, the la last generation of them. Uh, they call it the black top. And then I put individual throttle bodies on it. Yeah, whatever. Okay. It's really fun, but everyone does that. So how do we get something really weird here? And I was talking to OBD1 Kenobi and he said, dude, 
let's Volvo five-cylinder swap it. And I said, oh, yeah, that would be great, kind of jokingly. And then I got to looking at how cheap those are. They have turbos, five-cylinder, all aluminum, lighter than the 4AGE that came in that car. And also there's tons of rear-wheel drive swap parts for them. Okay, this might happen. This might happen. So we'll see. We'll see. I'll put up a poll on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Uh, let me know what you think I should put in this car. It's going to be cheap. It's going to be rusty. It's going to be terrible. And it's going to make all initial D fans mad. And I'm okay with that. And also, I, I will say moral of the story is um, don't bring cash and a trailer when you're going to go just uh, look at a car. I made that mistake. So anyway, uh, ladies, gentlemen, Porsche 959s let's delve let's delve away from crusty old toyotas and talk about pike's peak because i am doing this show right now in the shadow of pike's peak uh and uh they are doing this year 2022 is the hundredth year running the hundredth anniversary basically uh of the race which is incredible that um people have been running up that hill for a hundred years straight now lots of uh completely uh lots of I, I won't call it a safe race it's very much not but a lot of people who love racing it and uh you know again I, i'm in a unique position here to comment on said news being uh you know kind of in the automotive scene and especially right around pike's peak there's a lot of cool racing that does happen there and uh, there's some fun news though someone set the ev record oh god here we go talking about evs again but they set the record not for driving up pike's peak we already had a record last year for an ev race car this is a production ev car the porsche Taycan cross turismo and they set a guinness world record for the most elevation change accomplished while driving a car uh, an EV specifically. They went from uh, a deep mine in uh, it's in Michigan. It's called the Eagle Mine in Michigan, and uh, that is the deepest spot you can drive a car in the United States. And then so they went from that point to one of the highest points you can drive a car, albeit on a paved road, in the United States, which is the top of Pikes Peak. And that was a total drivable ascent of fifteen thousand eight hundred and eighty-nine feet holy cow that's a lot of elevation that's almost three miles of elevation change and uh and of course they had to do this in an ev to make okay you know honestly the ev was probably the best vehicle suited for this this task though because it's not susceptible to um uh altitude density how the the, the density of the air you know as you go up pike's peak the air up there gets very thin and the amount of oxygen in the air well, the, the air's less dense up there, so you have a lot less power. It's like, it's, think of like boost with a turbo, right? Except negative boost. You have less power that you do up there than you do at sea level. And that's about 70, the atmosphere up there is only about 70% of what it is at sea level. So uh, that said, you know, this an EV is not susceptible to those things. It's not burning gasoline and compressing air and doing all the good old stuff of uh, combustion. It's not doing that. The EV's got as much power at sea level as it does up there. So yeah, I get why they chose that. And maybe I also chose it for, you know, Porsche marketing reasons. Hmm, I don't know. But uh, at least it was not the Porsche Taycan Turbo. I really have to disagree with Porsche calling that car the turbo like it has a turbo model of that even though it's electric you can't have a turbo model that's electric because there's no turbo on it that's it's ridiculous in my opinion ever since they announced that so at least they weren't using the incorrectly named porsche Taycan turbo 
And yes, people say, well, it's Porsche's car. They can call it whatever they want. Well, yeah, but you're calling it something it isn't, though, which that's, I don't know. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. This is really neat stuff. By the way, they had uh, one of the drivers who was on this uh, trip. It all it ultimately was 1,400 miles from Michigan to the top of Pikes Peak was the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb class winner, Dai Yoshihara. And uh, he uh, he's probably the best dude to drive that car up the mountain. And uh, I, I wonder if he was resisting the <laughs> a temptation to exceed the speed limit on those roads up there. But he knows the roads very very well obviously having raced them in 2020 so that's really neat stuff cool to see a uh, car doing that whether or not it's electric or not doesn't matter it's just cool to see a car doing that and of course again the porsche Taycan cross turismo is their cool all-wheel drive porsche ev wagon thing it's an okay it's, it's a it's a cool car uh it's, it's very practical I, I will give it that so uh also Something related to Pikes Peak, but maybe more exciting than EVs. Yes, here's another piece of information. Just some fun Pikes Peak news. Pro Drifter Mad Mike has announced that he is going to be running the mountain in. Okay, so sure, whatever. He announced it. That's not the news. The news is what he said he's going to be driving up that mountain as A lot of race teams and stuff are going for EVs and, you know, things like that up the mountain as well. He has decided the tool of choice is a Mazda 3, you know, humble hatchback kind of four-door thing, except with a four-rotor rotary engine with 1,200 horsepower. Yes, that is good. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that is fantastic. And, of course, the rotary engine uh, is everyone's favorite spinning triangle non-piston machine out there. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with the rotary, it literally is... it is a cool piece of engine technology, mostly because of the fact that it was the only substantial evolution in internal combustion in about 100 years. So that's really cool. There's no pistons. There's like three moving parts, if that. And uh, yeah, they're cool. They're, no, they're not known for reliability, but they're known for high RPM and a lot of fun. Four rotors, by the way, is quite a bit when you're talking about rotaries. So that's really cool. Probably as many turbos as well. Also, he apparently is keeping the four seats in this car. So yeah, just a casual family sedan with a four rotor rotary engine, turbos, 1200 horsepower. Oh yeah, and it's a Pikes Peak hill climb car. That's really cool. Now, that does bring me to one point about Pikes Peak running, which is it's very expensive. I think people who don't live near that part of the racing scene don't realize quite how expensive it is. Um, I've had the opportunity to talk to a number of people who have run the race. uh, And as a individual or as a team, it is uh, exorbitantly expensive. Many hundred thousand, many hundreds of thousands of dollars to run that race in logistical costs, fees, uh, you know, not just the car itself, transportation. There's all sorts of logistical things that go into running that race. And I mean, if it, you know, that's one of the reasons not everyone can just run Pike's Peak. If anyone could run it as a race, I mean, I would have done it already. But uh, there's also the fact that it's pretty exclusive who actually gets accepted as a Pike's Peak Hill Climb driver. There's a pretty rigorous application process. Uh, The Pike's Peak officials want to see really solid racing experience and other really big um, racing uh, sanctioning bodies and things like that. So uh, it's definitely hard. I might put that one on the bucket list. At the very least, it is a very unique race 
in pretty much anywhere in the world. Sure, there's a lot of hill climbs that happen in a lot of places, but not many that go to the top of a 14,000-foot mountain. Just saying. That presents some very unique challenges. Uh, now, that said, I am going to get out there this uh, hill climb season as the year goes on. I'm going to try to get out there, get the show out there, get you some really exclusive content. That's something I can do that virtually no other car show, car podcast uh, can do because I'm, I'm right here with it. So that's something I want to do. And uh, I will say a couple of years ago, I did meet the Stig. Uh, up by Pikes Peak, and by the Stig, I mean Paul Gerard, who was literally one of the Stigs uh, on Top Gear. Uh, and uh, and the cool thing is, um, I even had the opportunity on camera to ask him some really, really stupid questions. I think I offended him because he was uh, running the hill climb. This was a couple of years ago. He was running the hill climb, and uh, and it was getting hammered all day by different people. Interviews. What do you think the car's gonna do? What do you think, you know, the road's going to be like? How fast do you think you're going to be? And then I was like, well, what can I ask him that he hasn't been asked? And I asked him something really dumb, like what kind of toothpaste he uses. I'm, I'm not even joking. I, I couldn't find that audio this week, but I'm going to keep searching for it. I've got it somewhere on a hard drive from a couple years ago, and uh, I'll, I'll dig that up for next week. I think you'd enjoy hearing that and also learning what kind of toothpaste the Stig uses. Assuming he has teeth. So anyway, um, hey, want to talk about some other really good stuff coming up in the next segment. Going to be talking about why a pickup truck purchase might be better than a solar battery power wall. What? Yeah, exactly. We're going to be talking about it in just a minute right after this. Did you know there's a rare but serious condition affecting one out of every million? Most are born with it. And despite decades of research, doctors struggle to find a cure. The truth is, thousands of people simply don't know what cars are. For those affected, things are grim, but recent developments show promising success. New clinical trials using breakthrough audio technology have shown a 69% improvement in patients with the most severe symptoms. Treatments vary, but one day we may see a cure. More information is available at ThrottleWarrior.com. Yeah, there we go. Those car sounds are courtesy of Steve Kraft and his Porsche 911 Turbo with a uh, custom exhaust, which sounds like a freaking F1 car. It sounds amazing. Now, those car sounds could be yours. You can send your car sounds into the show, uh, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. You can also email them to me as well, matt at throttlewarrior.com. I do have some exciting news about the car sounds uh, that I play here, and I'll tell you about those in the next segment. But first, I want to give you a little bit of a PSA, a public service announcement about oil pressure. So, interesting thing happened to me uh, last week. A uh, friend of mine called me up, and, uh, and I said, "I got to be careful who I, how I, how I address." This person must not give out any details, for they might be listening to this show. And uh, and she she definitely oh that I just gave away a little bit of it there. That's probably the no I'm kidding. Yeah. Anyway, she uh, friend of mine called me up and she said, "Hey, so my car has the oil change light on. Can you change the oil for me?" And I was like, "Yes, but what do you mean by oil change light? Is it the little like maintenance required light?" She's like, "No, it's the little red oil light, with the little oil can looking thing." And I thought, "Oh no, oh no," because that that doesn't mean you need to change your oil. And um, 
I don't mean to sound insulting to people who genuinely don't know. If you don't know something, you don't know. But um, that little, you know, the little genie light that comes on, the little red oil lamp looking thing, looks like a genie in a bottle. Um, yeah, that, that doesn't mean you need to change your oil. That means you don't have oil pressure. And oil pressure, let me explain this, is a fundamental principle on what keeps your engine running and keeps it from literally blowing to pieces because you have the bearings in a motor and they're not bearings like you would picture like a little rolling bearing. They're just basically slim pieces of metal uh, that ride along the crank. And uh, on the crank, you have a polished surface that these slim pieces of metal ride along that connect to the connecting rods. And uh, those connecting rods connect to the pistons and the pistons go up and down. So these, th these are only separated by a really thin film of oil. And that oil is um, pumped through the engine with a certain volume from the oil pump, and that volume turns into pressure as it passes through little passageways in the engine and into these bearings. Well, if you suddenly don't have oil pressure, that means there's no oil getting on the things that need oil, and when that doesn't happen, you have metal-on-metal metal contacting, uh, and that's that's not good because when that happens, the engine is, is pretty much as good as dead. Um, an engine, if it loses oil pressure, can become... Uh, very damaged very quickly. I mean, in the matter of minutes, sometimes even seconds, depending on what's happening. And uh, that's why it's so crucial to understand, at least if you don't understand the mechanics of why it happens, and it's hard to explain it in an audio-only format like this, but, you know, if you don't understand that, that's okay. Just know when that little oil pressure light comes on, you should pull over as literally as soon as it is safe to and shut the engine off because uh, that means very substantial damage could, you know, hap happen to the engine. Like if, you know, the light flickers maybe for a second while you're starting it or anything like that, that's not a big deal. Uh, this is also where I have problems with idiot lights in cars, as they call them. You know, instead of giving you gauges to look at, they give you lights and lovingly the auto industry likes to call those idiot lights. Um, it's not condescending at all, but uh, the problem is a lot of people don't know what the lights mean which if you had a gauge, you could see something failing in time to react to it. But then again, the argument is, well, the people who don't know what the lights mean also probably don't know how to read the gauges or what the gauges do. Moral of the story, I guess, is read your owner's manual. Like if you get a car and you don't know, if, you, if there's a light on the dash, you don't know what it does, go find out because it could be really bad if it turns on. Then again, if it's a check engine light, I mean, well... Just cover that up with a piece of tape. I don't know. So, hey, um, anyway, so I saw something really interesting. Um, uh, Jason Frensk, Frensky, he's the dude uh, behind Engineering Explained on YouTube, the YouTube channel Engineering Explained. He is much more eloquent at explaining engineering concepts than even I am, which is why that this is his job. That's what he does. Well, he made an interesting point the other day talking about Tesla's Powerwall which is a thing for your house. It's not a car. It's a battery pack you buy from Tesla that you install into your house. And it's honestly kind of cool. But um, the issue with it is they're $10,500 each for a 14 kilowatt hour capacity, which um, I, I'm not a big electric car person, but I can tell you that 14 kilowatt hours is an amount. I know that much. Now, but this is where Jason comes in. Uh, to explain this, a Ford F-150 Lightning EV, the electric truck that they're uh, going to be shipping out, has a battery capacity of 98 kilowatt hours. So, 14 kilowatt hours on the power wall, 98 kilowatt hours on the truck. Well, okay, why, why am I even going into this? Because it turns out 
that if you wanted to replicate the battery capacity of the pickup truck with the power wall as and have it as a supply for your house, you would need to buy seven of these power walls. Seven at $10,500 a piece. So simple, you know, math, it would basically cost a lot of money to, you know, to, to put these power walls in your house. Like, let's take, like right here, you know, doing it live, take 10500 times seven. That's like $73,000 to get the equivalent uh, power capacity in a house. So what you can do, on the other hand, and this is what Jason recommended, is instead of buying the power walls, you just buy the pickup truck because the pickup truck, get this, starts at $40,000. So power walls, uh, over many, many, many tens of thousands of dollars, the pickup truck only four tens of thousands of dollars. $40,000. So, uh, you know, and so what's the better deal there? Now, this, even the, think of it this way. You can't drive a power wall, but you can drive the pickup. And uh, now, now the argument for this is the truck is not always there at home charging from presumably the solar panels on the house that would be feeding the batteries, uh, which is a fair argument. I will concede to that argument, um, but you still can't drive the power wall. You can drive the truck. And now think of it this way. This is perfect if you are a bachelor, right? So you have your solar panels on your house and you're charging your battery wall or you're charging your truck. Well, if you only have the truck and say you drive it to work, um, you, so you, you need, first of all, you need that power to generate during the day. If you have solar, you need the solar panels to put electricity into the batteries during the day so that you have electricity at night when the sun isn't out. But this is an idea, right? So you have the truck and you drive it to work. You plug your truck in to charge at your work. And, uh, you know, a lot of offices and stuff have, you know, charging stations in their, uh, parking garages. Now you plug that in. And that charges up while you're at work off of your company's electricity, which is presumably free. Your company that you work for is paying it. And then you drive that truck home. And if you don't have that long of a commute, you still have a significant quantity of power left in the truck. Then you plug the truck into the house and then you have electricity for the rest of the night without the need for the battery wall. And so you're not at home. So why do you need to have the battery wall like this is this is why I said this works for bachelors because you know if you're not home then who is right uh, and uh, so that way I, I think this is a brilliant idea by the way if you're not at home anyway why have any electricity in the house you can't use it you're not at home drive your truck to work charge your truck at work drive it at home plug the truck into house and then you got electricity for the rest of the night I see zero flaws zero flaws with this plan. I think it's a brilliant solution. I, I think I have solved everything with this idea and I shall be taking my award shortly, shortly. Now, I mean, come on, why pay for electricity at home if you're not there to use it? Just saying, just saying. So um, anyway, got some exciting news coming up about the car sounds on this show. Also going to talk about why reinventing the wheel is a terrible idea. That's coming up next. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve, turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I 
bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash ThrottleWarrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. There we go. Hear those car sounds? Send yours in. Tyler did. That is his C6 Corvette with headers and an exhaust. He says he's unfortunately sold the car since recording that sound clip, but God, that car sounds amazing. Now, of course, uh, if you want to send your car sounds in, you can do that. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. You can also email me, Matt at throttlewarrior.com. I like to play these car sounds on the show because it's a way for me to interact with you, for one. Also, it's a way to put cool car noises on the show. I'm a, I'm a gearhead. I love cool car sounds. So that works out. Now, the exciting news that I have about this is I've had enough of these car sounds sent in uh, recently that I feel confident enough to start a monthly giveaway to people who send their car sounds in to the show. And, uh, and what, what I have right now to start, it is it is humble, but it will be of value to you. I have a $25 gift certificate to your favorite auto parts store and the very first edition of some automotive ADHD branded merchandise. Yes, we are going, by the way, of George Lucas when it comes to merchandising. <laughs> so here we go. I got some cool stuff. I do have uh, a couple, uh, one order of said merchandise uh, coming in and uh, in just a little bit. I'm going to inspect it before I send it out. It's the first order of it. I'm going to post it on the Facebook page if you want to see what it is. It's not just a t-shirt or a ball cap. You can't, I mean, yeah, you can wear those, but they don't do anything. This actually has a practical purpose in your daily life. So you also want to stay tuned on the Facebook page to check that out. Now, how this giveaway will work, I will be drawing from uh, the pool of people who have sent car sounds in over the course of each month. And I will do that drawing at the end of the month, last week of the month, and I'll announce it on the uh, show for the last week of the month. And um, I'm going to be picking from all of the past entries at random. Now, the good news is if you send your entry in, you will all already be entered to win uh, for your chance to win. If I, for instance, if there's just too many car sounds in that one week to get to your car, that's okay. You are still entered for the drawing. So you're good to go with that. And again, you can send those car sounds in. Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com, Automotive ADHD. Facebook page. Really excited to get this going. Now, hey, next thing I want to talk about is steering wheels, which, you know, I think we're fairly, as if you've ever driven a car, you're fairly familiar with steering wheels. It's a round sort of spoked object, usually has uh, three spokes, uh, sometimes two, sometimes four. I think five would be a bit excessive, but, you know, it can happen. Uh, they can be wrapped in leather, suede, wood, or also those trashy uh, clearance aisle steering wheel covers that you find at AutoZone. Yeah, also, those are really dangerous, by the way. Side note, you, I, I would not recommend using one. If you do have one, I would not recommend it. In a, at least in a performance driving context, those are really sketchy. But anyway, this is a steering wheel. It's a super old design. It's reliable. Now, that said, Tesla made press last year, or, well, recently, I should say, uh, with their yoke steering wheel design. You really can't call it a steering wheel because... There's no round part to it, uh, no circular part in any conceivable way. I mean, if only someone came up with a better name for this thing that's not a steering wheel. 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but that said, it's not a new idea. Knight Rider, the TV show, popularized it back in the 1980s. And that had a lot of people, you know, hacking the tops of their steering wheels off to make this yoke looking thing. The yoke looks cool. It's kind of like it's like out of an airplane, right? Well, it has inherent problems. And there's reasons airplanes can use this specifically and cars cannot. Namely, the fact that when you're in an airplane, the yoke there, if you're turning it left and right, is going to be changing your pitch of the air or your role rather pitch is a different term in aviation it's going to be changing your actual role of the aircraft and um and if you were to go hand over hand like you would on a steering wheel with the yoke in an airplane you would be flipping the airplane and spinning it and doing all sorts of wild things that i'm sure the faa would disagree with you doing um but in cars yokes do not work, uh, namely because of the issue you can only have two places to put your hands, and if you need to make a tight turn, you, you can't really do it all that well. And sure, people say, oh, but I'm good at doing it, I've gotten good at it. The problem is it's not as intuitive as just a wheel that you can grab anywhere, in a panic, in an emergency, or ju just something as familiar as a big circle thing in front of you. I mean, that's one of those things. Now, Tesla is bad about this yoke thing, but not as bad now. Uh, as what a recent patent patent filing uncovered. And uh, I mean, <laughs> the Tesla yoke is pretty tame compared to this. Uh, BMW recently filed a patent for a distinctly German take on the steering wheel yoke thing. And uh, by German, I mean uh, unnecessarily complicated and mechanically complex. And it's this in, picture having a yoke, right? The You know, like an airplane yoke or like Tesla's yoke except that the two sticks on either side that you hold that are connected to the center hub, you know, the two parts of the yoke, except that they're floppy. They're on a pivot. They can rotate. The wheel, or not the wheel, the yoke, rotates left and right, but also the two stalks, I guess you could call them, on either side, also rotate and pivot. And um, this is... Uh, <laughs> This is odd. This is so the idea here with the patent and what it shows is that BMW says we can create a yoke and through complex German engineering, we can allow you to do the handover uh, type of maneuver you would do with the regular steering wheel, except with the yoke, because the stocks on the yoke actually pivot. So when you turn one, you can actually bend it and get it to pivot and get more angle out of the actual rotation of the yoke, if that makes sense. Um, the problem is there's already a thing that does this. There's there's already a thing that's not as mechanically complex that allows you to do the handover maneuver while driving a car. What's it called? What's it called? Um Oh yeah. It's called the wheel. Just saying it's called the wheel. I mean, look, innovation is important. It is. It really is. You know, we we move forward through means of innovation, but this is an exception because it does literally nothing better than a steering wheel. It solves a problem in a very interesting German mechanical way, but the problem doesn't need to exist in the first place. I mean, come on, why? Oh, gosh. Okay, you know, this is BMW's hard-spent research money going into funding, designing, whatever the, the hell this is. Um, also, one, one note about these... Uh, about these stock steering wheels is manufacturers are taking this as the opportunity to um, put the controls that you would use on the, for instance, um, the turn signal indicator or the um, the wiper stock. These, these controls you have elsewhere in the car, they're putting them 
on the yokes, because now there's this big flat space and I guess they can put them there. They're like, let's have every button, your headlights, your turn signals, your windshield wi wipers, the radio, everything, the seat massager button, it's all going to be right there on the steering wheel. Because look how handy it is. You can just press it while you're driving. While that's handy, I think BMW, including the turn signal stock onto the yoke, is a there's a slim chance of that presumably bmw will not <laughs> include the turn signal button on there when they go do this i'm just throwing that out there i mean yeah bmw drivers right um i don't know this is this is one of those things i think innovation might need to stop here this is too much innovation at least for the wheel at least for the wheel i mean even race cars that sort of have Stocks, a lot of people are like, well, yeah, but race cars have stock or stocks. I'm calling them stocks now. Yokes. There we go. Um, even race cars that have that. The problem with the problem with comparing that to a road car is a race car is a much more substantial steering uh, ratio uh, than a road car does. And that means you can get a full lock to lock turn in some race cars without ever needing to do the handover position. But the problem is that's just not practical when it comes to road cars, because when you give an average driver that much i would say that much you know aggressiveness in the steering ratio you can also induce some bad driving characteristics and that can lead to that person crashing because the steering is turning way faster than they're used to in any other car um so that's not a fair comparison to say well yeah but race cars have it well, a lot of race cars don't a lot of them don't the some that do like f1 cars and stuff that have those weird mishmash of buttons. They're the, you know, I blame F1. They are the ones who started the idea of let's put every button we can on the steering wheel. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a traditionalist here. I like my steering wheels to have no buttons. Even if it's got, oh, a volume button and the cruise control button. I don't know. I like old steering wheels that have nothing on them. The wheel is there to drive the car. My two cents right there. So anyway, uh, interesting stuff. Don't need to reinvent the wheel. I mean, the wheel has existed long, as long as man has been around, the wheel has existed. And, uh, but anyway, so, uh, by the way, again, Hey, those, uh, those car sounds, send those in, get your, uh, get your chance to win some prizes on the show. And I will be announcing that stuff next week on next week's show. And also, uh, showing you what you have the ability to win. So of course the $25 gift certificate, but also the automotive ADHD merchandise, which again, I will be, um, debuting that on the Facebook page first before next week's show. So that's really good stuff. Also, I want to thank you for the listenership these past uh, several months. The show has really grown. I've looked at my analytics and seen a lot of people jump on board. Uh, I mean, we've surpassed 2,000 listeners, which I think is just staggering. So, uh, you know, to think that 2,000 people have the ability to waste this much time listening to my show, listen to me ramble about cars. That is fantastic. And I want to thank each and uh, every person. And I mean, hey, we're, we're growing from here, right? Think of it this way. It, it can't get any worse at the very least. So soon the garage will be filled with even more rusty clapped out Corollas with no engine. So what can I say? Uh, by the way, you can subscribe to this podcast uh, wherever fine podcasts and this one are downloaded. If you listen on Spotify, you can also give it a rating and I would encourage you to do that. And I will see you next time. Same bad time, same bad place when I scare the locals by driving my DeLorean through a barn. See you then. See you then.